Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hi, I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor for Provoke Media. Welcome to the second episode of From Self-Care to Healthcare, which we're doing in partnership with COIN. So in this series, we're covering sort of that intersection between self-care and healthcare, looking specifically at the movements that have really gained momentum during this pandemic. The first episode, which I will include in the show notes, featured CeraVe, which of course was a discussion about skincare. Um, Today, we're tackling another issue that has gained significant prominence, especially over the past two years, and that's mental health. Now we've, as you all know, have talked about this over the past two years in particular, um, mostly bringing on wellness experts. But today we're going to have a slightly new perspective because our speaker, um, or one of our two speakers, is comes from sort of the pharmaceutical side of the business. So on today's show, we have Robert Murphy, who is Director of External Communications at OTSCA. And we also have Kelly Denker, who is EVP at COIN PR. Welcome, Robert and Kelly. Thank, Thank you, Arthur. Nice to be, here. to be here. Yeah, and <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I got all those pronunciations correct. Um, it, Robert, I, I would love to just sort of start with you. And if we could talk a little bit about kind of what your day-to-day role looks like. Sure, yeah, so happy to be here. Thanks again, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, and, and these certainly are my opinions. So what I say today are, you know, not, they're mine and, and not necessarily reflective of how Otsuka feels about things, but uh, it should be a great conversation. Um, my, so as I said, I head up the, or as you said, I head up the, um, external communications function at Otsuka, America Pharmaceutical Inc. It's the U.S. subsidiary of Otsuka, which is a Japanese, global Japanese pharmaceutical company. Uh, we are in the uh, nephrology space, mental health space, and then digital health uh, solution space. My day-to-day would be worrying about what happens outside the building for product portfolio, brands, pipeline, love brand strategy, uh, thought leadership, so those are the buckets where I tend to, to you know, function and then working with leadership on any kind of crisis management or issue management as well. Right. And I'm sure crises, well, those, those never happen today, right? Um, no. <laughs> um, so, so Kelly, can you, can you shine a little bit of light on um, maybe how U.S. Coin sort of support Robert into kind of what he just described? Sure, absolutely. You know, I think for myself, first and foremost, just being a mental health advocate um, makes it really easy to work with Rob and Otska because they're doing such great work in the mental health space. But, you know, a lot of where we uh, like to come in and support the team is just being eyes and ears on the ground. What's happening in the marketplace? What are the trends that are taking place? Um, Importantly, what are the unmet needs? You know, when you think about influencers and people out there, there's such an unmet need. Uh, within the mental health space. And I, I think we're starting to fall the ice a little bit about mental illness and how to get people to talk more about it. And so it's really thinking about how do we drive engagement? How do we drive education? How do we inform people where to go? Because the fact is there's a lot of people suffering with mental illness that just don't know what to do about it. Right. You know, and I, I think that's a great 
point that we are sort of thawing the ice on this. I mean, this is a topic that didn't come up in every conversation that I had, you know, three years ago. And now I don't, it's very difficult for me to have a conversation, especially around recruiting talent, retaining talent, um, you know, growing an organization that doesn't touch on mental health. Um, so, I mean, I, in fact, I, I just did a conversation on Friday with um, PRSA Silicon Valley. And again, the topic was mental health. And um, so this is, this is something that is finally kind of coming to the forefront. I think the pandemic sort of forced that hand a bit. So, you know, the, while we were kind of researching this conversation today, there was um, an article that caught my attention and it was in Forbes brand voice. It was by Jody Helmer. And again, I'll put a link to the conversation um, in the show notes. And the, the headline was sort of three changes that can help us overcome the mental health pandemic. And I would love to just sort of go through these three ideas and talk about the role that communications can play in each. So starting out, I think the, the first one um, that I wanna make sure I'm going in order here to make it easy for our, for our listeners. Um, the first one seems really simple and um, I think there's a lot of layers to it. And I'd be curious to hear from both of you sort of what role you envision communications could play and that's improve access to care. Obviously, telehealth has changed access, um, but there's so many. There's so much more to that. Um, Robert, do you want to start? Yeah, thank you, Arthur. You know, it's such an important conversation, especially right now at this, this time because it's it's Mental Illness Awareness Week. So it's always a good time to check on your mental health, and I think that's uh, it's an important conversation to have, as you said. You know, COVID has created that strain. I think on we're still dealing with COVID and the angst and stress and everything that goes along with that. And it's, it's pushed this mental health pandemic that, that we're going to be dealing with for generations to come. And so there, there is a lot to helping people understand, you know, that if they're having an issue, it's okay to realize that, you know, you need some intervention, you need to kind of speak with somebody, but it's where communications can roll into this is we not only can help people understand these things, you can help them improve that access to care. It's it's one thing to know about something, but it's another thing to know where in his or her community to find the help that that he or she needs. Right. So um, it's about decreasing health stigma. Communications can really do a great job in that. We see that through celebrities, and you know people are becoming a lot more open to talk about you know their their mental health issues, which increases that uh, that stigma. Um, and we also have to focus on underserved communities for people who may not have access to the same types of technology or mediums um, or resources that everyone else has. So there's a real serious need to focus on meeting people where they are in their communities. Great. Kelly, did you want to add on to that? Yeah, you know, what I, what I think is really interesting over the last year is the fact that if there was anything that was going to challenge the headlines of COVID, it was mental health and mental illness because of the numbers of people reporting anxiety, depression. And that was almost later on, layered on to the numbers of people that are already suffering with clinically diagnosed depression and anxiety issues. And I think if there was a really great sort of silver lining in the past year, it's the fact that you, you heard more and more people talking about it. And, and we, we've seen a lot in the news about younger people dealing with anxiety and depression. But when you have people like Simone Biles, who's considered, you know, a gymnastic goat, uh, you know, in a position to pull out of an Olympic 
competition because of anxiety and issues. And uh, Naomi Osaka pulling out of the French Open because of anxiety. Um, it, it drives dialogue. And that dialogue is really important because um, mental illness itself isn't something like diabetes or cholesterol where you can get a blood test and say, hey, you're dealing with schizophrenia or you're dealing with major depressive disorder. Um, it's all through communication. And the more people can talk about it and be comfortable about it, it helps really destigmatize the issue and allow people to get the help that they need. Right. You know, so it sounds like, you know, there's sort of this, this two-pronged approach here. And one is, you know, normalizing needing help um, for this. And the second piece is sort of helping folks navigate where to seek that help. And, you know, that I feel like that first part, we've done a pretty good job during this pandemic of sort of normalizing that people will need help and it's okay to ask for that. I think that second piece, I think part of it is maybe just a reflection of, of our healthcare inequities in this country, but navigating where to find that care is quite daunting. So, you know, for your, I think the point Robert, that you made is you kind of have to meet communities where they are, they're at. Um, I mean, do you have to take like a very multi-layered approach here, depending on does somebody have it? Is it covered by their insurance? Is it just a matter of picking up the phone or making a, an appointment with their primary care physician? Is it helping folks in certain communities find, you know, maybe other channels, whether that's community groups or churches or nonprofits or, you know, other ways in which they can seek help out? You're absolutely right. It's all of the above. For, for, you know, there's a lot of different cross-functional aspects to every pharmaceutical company, but the same as that, again, they focus on different areas. So access to medicine and uh, field medical teams and patient advocacy and stakeholder management. But from a communication standpoint and across the board throughout OTSCO, we take a really patient-centric approach to everything. So it's, you know, it's not about just informing somebody about a condition. It's about stopping him or her in their tracks to say, you know what, this is resonating with me. Not only is it resonating with me, but I think I think I need to kind of find some help and look at why I'm feeling this way. But then what do you do? And, and we need to empower people to have those really good conversations with their healthcare teams. Because once you're in the physician's office or wherever you're going to receive your care, you know, that, that white coat syndrome can take over and you can freeze. And maybe depending on what the, the conversation is, you're not quite processing everything that you're hearing. And before you know it, you're out of the doctor's office and you're, you're kind of falling out of the loop because you don't know where to go and you didn't ask the questions that you really needed to. So it's important to give patients an idea and caregivers because caregivers play a massive role in, in a treatment, especially with mental, mental health. Uh, people having mental health issues to really empower them to have those really good conversations with their healthcare teams and, and take an active role. That's where communication can really come in. To your point, this isn't getting a story in the media. This isn't just putting out, you know, an audio news release or a video media tour. This is about all of the above and really taking that patient-centric approach that puts people on, you know, in front of people that look like they do. You can't just expect one size fits all for somebody. People will respect and listen to um, people who look and have the same experiences as they do. Right. Right. You know, it was interesting. I, in the conversation I had about wellness just a few days ago, one of the points that they made was wellness shouldn't be gender, right? It's not something that is limited to women and self-care is not something that's limited to women. And part of that is right. Having for instance, in this case, having men speak out more openly about this topic so that people can, can relate to that experience, right? 
Um, and I, I do really like your point about you know, empowering patients. So when they go in, so for instance, if, if it is to their primary care physician or whoever it might be, that they, they don't become overwhelmed because this is a difficult conversation to, to have. Um, and, you know, empowering folks with information and the role that communications can play. So you feel like, you know, you're, you don't walk out of the doctor's office to your point and realize that there are five things that you forgot to ask or that you still had questions about or that you didn't quite hear um, the, the answers properly. So, you know, that, that leads perhaps to the, that, the next point, which I think is really interesting, and that's sort of leveraging the power of digital technology. And it sort of ties in to accessibility, you know, the first point we made because of telehealth, right? I mean, it used to be that you, you know, almost every appointment was in person, especially for treating mental health issues. And now suddenly like we all are using, you know, Zoom to connect with any of our medical practitioners. And I feel like that's probably changed the game. Um, Kelly, I'll start with you on this one, you know, yeah. leveraging, you know, what role do you think comms plays in sort of helping to leverage this power of digital tech? You know, I, I think connecting people and, you know, when we talk about access, certainly the technology of televisits uh, provides people a great resource. There, there's a lot of great technology from everything from just when you think about um, the social media platforms great places to be able to get messages out because certainly that's where our younger audiences are that are struggling with the feelings that they're having. Is it normal? Is it not? Um, where to get help? So when you think about where do you place the messages, those are really key, but the telemedicine provides anonymity uh, for a lot of people. You know, there's they're, they're still an old school approach of, hey, there's that mental health place down the street, but I don't want to be seen there locally. Uh, walking in the doors, I'm not really sure. And still barriers we need to get over, but, but that takes a little bit of the fear out. And you see that even with, with men's health products, uh, a lot more is online, a lot more is through the telemedicine uh, route. And it's, it's enabling people to be able to get the help that they need that they weren't before. Great. Great. Robert, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think Kelly really nailed it. I, I think COVID really did a number on connections that people have in their lives. And this isn't, this is extended. This isn't, you know, what we originally thought was a couple of weeks, three months, a year. We're in it. And people have been taken out of their lives. Um, and it's really, I, I think, thrown the world for a loop. So digital technology can help really bridge that gap. And, it, and it, it's, you know, one of the things I would really stress is that, um, you know, healthcare professionals, can, you know, should take a look at this. And, and work it into, into the practice because this is not a man, you know, digital technology is not meant to be a replacement. It's an add-on, it's another tool in the toolbox that can help bridge that, that connectivity and the treatment regimen. And so um, I think patients like, you know, the technology because it allows them to you know, get real-time assistance when they need it. They don't have to wait for the, you know, the, the three weeks to a month for their appointment with the physician. But that that information is available to caregivers who are, who are you know, adequately, um, you know, authorized and physician teams that, you know, the, the patient authorizes to see that. And they can make decisions together. And I think it's a really big uh, benefit to digital technology. Yeah, you know, I, I had a conversation recently about sort of the, the VC investment in, in telehealth, and it's sort of staggering, right? I mean, there's a lot of bets being made that this is the future of healthcare. And to your point, it's not it's not intended to be a replacement necessarily, but but an add-on. Um, and maybe there might be certain things that perhaps might be permanently moved online, but there'll always still be that. You know, it'll it'll 
it'll be part of sort of a, a bigger repertoire of tools. Um, but one more point about about the telehealth piece is, you know, that, that it just it's more frictionless, right? I mean, it was so easy for people to reschedule and reschedule appointments because they would say, oh, I don't have enough time to be there. I have this work meeting that's going to go long and I can't get to this appointment in time. This, you know, you can you can turn off your computer and turn, you know, and open up a new a new Zoom room. So I think that's that's really changed the game. Um, and also much of much of the, the the discussion with the doctors is communication. It's not like an annual visit where you have to have your temperature taken or your blood pressure checked. It's about conversation and dialogue. Um, and sometimes people are more comfortable doing it in their home with the doctor about what the way they've been feeling than to Rob's point, going into the doctor's office, going with the two to three low hanging fruit things. And then it's that sort of the doorknob conversation as they refer to it as they're leaving. Hey, you know, I need to talk about X. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like all these turns of phrases, the doorknob conversations. Um, so I, I want to get to our third point because I think it's really important and I think it's a role, an area where communications can play a huge role. And that's sort of creating a more compassionate culture around mental health. And I think this is a really interesting one because I've had many conversations with people about how to share the burden um, so that the onus doesn't fall exclusively on the individual that we are also sort of looking at, you know, systems in place that may be causing, you know, in, in some cases, of course, you know, like, you know, maybe exacerbating mental health situations, um, you know, whether that's working in, in a high stress environment that doesn't have proper boundaries around work-life balance. Um, and, you know, and some of it might be an, an individual taking better care of like their sleep hygiene or their nutrition um, or stress management. Um, but some of it should be maybe bigger conversations that should be had outside of individual responsibility. So I'd just be curious to hear both of your perspectives on this. And yeah, I Kelly, maybe I'll. Yeah, Robert, yeah. go ahead, start. All right, no, that's okay. I think you, know, you, you hit on a great point. Um, it, it really is about understanding holistically what mental health really is and does to a person and society at large, because each each of us has connections, right? So it affects a lot of different people aside from, from you, right? So at Otsuka, one of the things that I was struck by when I first came to the company is the amount of empathy. It, it, it literally is driven down through the entire organization. We've rolled out a lot of different programs. And, and most recently, we, we really made a, a large effort to, to show people that Every employee is a chief patient. We touch the patient, no matter if you're in accounting or communications or whatever it is, you're moving the needle and you're going to have a patient impact. So, so there's that. I think you really have to live that as a company. And our, our purpose is to defy limitations so that others can too. And that really, we feel that. So I can, I can unequivocally say that, you know, that's refreshing. Um, it's that patient-centric approach that really kind of is who we are and, and, and lives in everything that we do. I think internally, the company has to support its employees as well. You know, it has to talk the talk, right? So uh, Oatsky has been really good. And I think companies have been in general during COVID and rolling out programs that cater to people's mental health. So, you know, we've got the internal side of the fence covered, but when we go outside of the organization, and we have these wins for external communications and we have, you know, 
whether, whether it was a segment on a TV station or a print publication or what have you, we put that inside so that we see the case studies, we internalize that. So you're really communicating on all cylinders so that people are engaged. So I think that's really important. So you have to get people engaged. They want to work for a company that does really good things. And it's important that companies put that out internally and, and externally. Yes, no, I think that's a, a really good point that that sort of internal culture of wellness has to be cultivated in order for that to be pushed externally as well. Um, Kelly, did you wanna talk a little bit about sort of the role that you think communications does play in making, sort of creating a more compassionate culture around mental health? And you can speak to what's going on at COIN or you can speak to more broadly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, a, a COIN is, is all about, you know, the, the mission is the best place to work, uh, being the best place to work. And it starts with wellness. And I think there's been such a great emphasis on work-life balance and mental wellness through the pandemic. But, you know, Rob touched on it, at, and, and you touched on it also, Arvi, is the perspective of empathy and, and the challenge that, that a lot of people face when dealing with or coming out about mental illness for the first time is, is trying to be a good listener on the, on the receiving end because so many people be like, oh, you, do, you have everything going for you. You have nothing to be depressed about. It's good. Hey, get a good night's sleep. You're all good. Um, and, and a lot of those things, it's important to sit back because we never really know what's going on inside the mind of somebody else. And, and it's really, really challenging sometimes if you have a family member or somebody else that you, you almost want to dismiss it and just say, hey, it's short term. It's okay. It's just a bad week. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, you know, as far as the workplace, you know, thinking about the way we even talk with one another, you know, it's about making it matter. Uh, in the workplace. So there's lots of groups. I think the American Psychiatry Association has free workplace programs, uh, toolkits to download. Um, but also when you think about training, that there's so much about training in the workplace as well on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, being sensitive to the way we talk about mental illness. Um, sometimes we'll use phrases like, boy, so-and-so can be really bipolar sometimes. Or they're crazy if they think about that. And sometimes we say that completely, not with any maliciousness, but, but not being thoughtful that the person next to us might be somebody who is dealing with mental illness in a family. So words matter. And so building those things in, into training. And, and, you know, finally, and Rob hit on it earlier, is the role of caregivers. There are so many people that are caregivers to people with mental illness that have their own challenges to manage as being a caregiver that it's important that we're always thinking about messaging to them and what programs, what services, uh, what support are we providing because it can be very um, exhausting for people that are helping people through it, finding the right treatment approaches for them um, and being there for them the whole time. Wow, Kelly, those are excellent points. And I think in that the, the point about caregivers even just ties back to that first point about empathy, right? I mean part of educating folks around, around being empathetic in their conversations about this, part of it is caregivers, right? So that you don't get exhausted and you don't dismiss someone's concerns or you don't, you know, we think about how differently we talk about stress than we did even five years ago. I mean, even think about parenting styles, right? Like I, I have a young child and the way that they talk about their emotions is so different than the way we were raised to, right? It, it's never don't cry. It's, it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel feel your, your emotions and, and having and building empathy around that. And I also loved your point, Kelly, about DEI and how we need to factor mental illness into those conversations because some of these 
phrases that we use that have been so embedded in our culture that are, like you said, are not malicious. Like people will say, oh, I'm so OCD. I make a bunch of lists, not fully understanding what being OCD actually is um, and how hurtful that can be for somebody who's actually dealing with this. Um, you know, it's not that day they're just making a list or, or whatever we're talking about. Um, wow. Well, this was, I feel like such an amazing conversation. I feel like we could, we could keep going, but, but I'm, but I'm mindful of time. So, um, I'm going to wrap up now, but thank you to both Robert and Kelly for this really great conversation. And I hope that someday we can kind of keep this going and, and, and revisit this. Likewise. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, to our listeners, we will be back soon with another episode of the Provoke Media podcast. And we'll talk to you all again soon. You have been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent, and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.